tell them how much they miss um, being here with all of us and Taylor. They're doing well, um, and they just send their love um, from Colorado. Amen? Amen. So continue to pray for them. God is continuing to open doors for, for Rick to be able to share the gospel and to just really, um, God, I believe, is really using him to bring life. Uh, to people that have just been so burned out and burdened down. You know, um, most of the people that they know up there are people that have been in ministry. And, and um, unfortunately, a lot of times, um, people that have been in ministry for any period of time, uh, it can become a real, um, well, it just it can become a real burdensome thing. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times, People get hurt and people get burned out. And, um, and you know, I think, really believe that's one of the reasons God sent them back to Colorado was to just to bring uh, a refreshing and a life maybe to, to the people up there that have just come to question, you know, God, what's this all about um, after being hurt and burned out. and uh, So pray for them. God is really using them in an awesome way and pray that God would continue to do that and that as they share their life, that they're also receiving life. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. And uh, we're going to continue um, in, in, in this series about the Holy Spirit. I really, really want to encourage you guys to go to the website, download the message guide, listen to the messages if you're coming in, uh, you know, and you haven't heard, we're, we're going to be on uh, part four of this series today. And uh, we're not going to finish this. I'm gonna, I got about halfway through it last night. And so I really want to take our time. Uh, I want to take time to, to, to really lay a foundation that you would understand um, what we're talking about, what the scripture is declaring. Uh, because it really doesn't matter what I think or what I have to say. What really matters is what the scripture declares and what the scripture has to say. So we want to dispel myths. We want to dispel these strongholds, these vain imaginations that, that we've held maybe in our own minds. I know that I have um, held all kinds of beliefs and things. Um, and, and we just need to be people that are willing to allow the word of God to be the word and the word of God to bring us to truth, to bring us uh, to freedom, and uh, let the word stand on its own. Amen? It can do that. All right, let me just uh, recap real quick. Last week we talked about the baptism in or with or by the Spirit. And the, to be baptized in, with, by the Spirit is for God, the Holy Spirit, to place us into Christ. So remember... The baptism in the Spirit is not me being baptized in something or the Spirit something that happens to me. To be baptized in the Spirit means the Spirit is the person of God that's baptizing me. It's, remember, like the picture of water baptism. When I baptize people, I am the person baptizing them into Christ. But that's just a picture of the reality of what has already transpired, that the Spirit of God has placed them into Christ. So this is what it means to be baptized uh, with the Spirit. 
or in the Spirit. To be anointed with the Spirit is for God the Father to place into us the Holy Spirit. So when we're baptized in the Spirit, it's the Spirit of God placing us into Christ. And at that moment, God the Father places that very Spirit in... That's our anointing that John speaks of in 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 and 27. So the anointing with the Spirit is for God the Father to put into us the Spirit of God. And we become the dwelling place, the home of the Holy Spirit. And these aren't separate experiences from or in addition to our conversion. These realities happen at the moment we are saved, at the moment we are born again. When I'm born again, the Spirit of God places me into Christ. And God the Father places His Spirit into me. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be born again. So when we're saved, we are placed into Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God the Father places into us that same Spirit, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in us, Paul says to the Romans. Amen? So, now let's talk today, we're going to talk about the outpouring of the Spirit. But before we get to the outpouring of the Spirit, I want to touch on the relationship between the Holy Spirit or the outpouring of the Spirit and the Great Commission. Now, I want to give you the the five verses in which the Great Commission is communicated. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and Preach the gospel to every creature. So we're we're commanded to go and make disciples of all the nations. We're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Doesn't leave anybody out. It doesn't exclude anybody. Every creature. Luke 24, 47. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached... In his name to all nations, Luke 24, 47. And then Jesus says, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem. I send to you the promise of the Father. That was the Holy Spirit. In John twenty twenty one, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then in Acts chapter 1, you might turn there. We're going to kind of park here in Acts today. For a little bit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus speaking to his disciples. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. And Jesus gives us four specific areas. In Jerusalem. In Judea. In Samaria. Into the ends of the earth. Now Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria were all within. From Jerusalem, if you traveled 30 to 50 miles, you could touch all of those places. Less than that, really. So Judea and Samaria were right there adjacent to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was in Judea. And Samaria bordered Judea just to the north. 
So from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then from there to the ends of the earth. What? This gospel shall be preached. You shall be witnesses to me. So what we see is Jesus gives the great commission to his disciples at the end of the gospels. But he's not just giving it to his disciples. He's giving it to the church. This is our commission also. It hasn't stopped yet. The great commission hasn't expired It is still in force today. We are to take this gospel and proclaim it. Amen? Do you believe that, church? Okay. And so the Great Commission, what we see, though, the Great Commission precedes the outpouring of the Spirit. Before God poured out His Spirit, He gave these disciples and He gave the church this commission. So the Great Commission precedes the outpouring of the Spirit. The Great Commission, if I can just boil it down to some, some, something very simple that we can understand. What is the purpose of the Great Commission? Jesus, I believe, gives it to us in, in the prayer that he taught his disciples. Pray in this manner. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of the Great Commission, it was God's will for the gospel to be preached. It was God's will for His Son, His name to be known. Remember, we go back to the garden. What was God's intent from the beginning? That the earth would be filled with the knowledge of God. That the Son would be manifest. This is what God wants. He wants the knowledge of the Son. This is the will of the Father. And this is the purpose of the Great Commission. This is His will being done on earth. His kingdom coming. His will be done. So then we come to the outpouring of the Spirit. Go and wait in Jerusalem. I send to you the promise of my Father. Now, let me ask you this. Before that day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus... Who was it? Who do we see in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant? Who was it that received the Holy Spirit? There were two classes of people. There were prophets and there were kings. So we need to understand what the Scripture is declaring. So let's, let's go now to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then we see that they come out of the upper room and... And there are men there from every nation. The reason there were men there from every nation is because the Feast of Pentecost was one of three feasts that required every male to appear before the Lord. So it wasn't just a coincidence that God used the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was also the commemoration of the giving of the law, God giving his word to the children of Israel at Sinai. And it's even reported in some of the Jewish traditions from, from the 
from the Talmud and from the oral traditions that the Jews believe that that day at Sinai when God gave his word to Israel, when he gave them the law, when he made the covenant with them, that there appeared tongues of fire. So you see, this was, this was something very, it was very important for Israel. They understood the significance of this feast of Pentecost. It was more than just a feast celebrating the harvest. This was the commemoration of God giving his word and his covenant to Israel at Sinai. Now God is giving his word. He's given his word, amen? Jesus Christ, the living word. He is establishing with them now a new covenant. And so here we are at Pentecost. All these men have come from all over the world, these Jews, for this feast in obedience to God and Here comes Peter and the 120 out of the upper room. And they are declaring the wonderful works of God. And these guys are hearing them each in their own language. Declare the wonderful works of God. And and some of them say, well, they must be drunk. And what's going on here? So let's go to verse 16. Well, Peter tells them exactly what's going on here. In verse 15, look, for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. What is this that's going on on this day of Pentecost? Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. In case you guys don't know what days we're living in, we're, we're living in the last days. How do we know? Because Peter says, this is what was Spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now let's stop right there. Does that mean that on that day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, that God poured the Holy Spirit on every human being that's, that was alive on planet earth at that time? That's not what it means. So how, how do we know what this means? I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. Well, we've got to understand who it was that received the spirit before. Who was it before? Remember, it was prophets and it was kings. I mean, Farmer Jeff, farming his field, couldn't get the Holy Ghost. I couldn't say, God, you know, I see the prophet Elijah there, and he's just full of the Holy Ghost. I want to have the Holy Ghost like the prophet does. God says, sorry, you can't. Because not anybody could get it. That was under the old covenant. Ah, but the prophet says there is coming a day in the last days when God will pour his spirit out on All flesh. In other words, it's not going to be just kings and prophets. And so the prophet goes on that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. This is revolutionary. This is unbelievable. It's not going to be just kings and prophets anymore. But he says, on your sons and your daughters, on my men servants and my maid servants, they will prophesy. It's not going to be just be Elijah's and, and, and Elisha's and Jeremiah's and Isaiah's. Here's what Moses said. Long before the prophet, long before Joel wrote those words, pins those, pinned those words, you know what Moses said? He said, oh, that 
all of the children of Israel would prophesy. And that very declaration, that very cry from the heart of Moses was really a prophetic declaration. God says, it's coming, Moses. There is coming a day when all of the children of Israel shall prophesy. In other words, they will have the spirit of prophecy in them. The book of Revelation says what? Jesus Christ is what? He is the spirit of prophecy. Where is Jesus Christ living now? Well, if you're a born-again child of God, he lives inside of you. That means the spirit of prophecy lives on the inside of you. Are you a king? Are you a priest? Are you a prophet? Well, in Christ, you are kings and priests unto God. So let's understand what is being declared here. God is saying, listen, the veil has been taken away. The way has been made. It has been prepared by the blood of my son. This is not an exclusive thing anymore. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so Jesus says in Luke 11, he says to those fathers, those earthly fathers, if you know how to give good gifts, how much more your heavenly father, if you ask, will he not give you the Holy Spirit? Well, when do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the Holy Spirit when we trust Jesus. When we trust him for salvation, that Holy Spirit places us into Christ and the Father puts that spirit on the inside of us. What spirit? That same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. In other words, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on all who will ask in faith, on all who will trust my son. Sons, daughters, men servants, maid servants, young, old, it doesn't matter. I will give them my spirit, says the Lord. Church, this is a glorious thing that happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus when God poured his spirit out at the day of Pentecost. This is for all flesh. This is for any who will believe. Amen? Amen. All right, so we have this outpouring that was spoken by the prophet Joel. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it was this outpouring of the spirit that initiates the commencement of the church. This is when the church was birthed. The church was already God's plan. How do we know? Well, we read it in Matthew 18, right? I mean, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. Upon this rock, upon this revelation, I will build my church. And now God has poured his Spirit out in this Pouring out of the Spirit initiates the commencement of the church. And it is this outpouring that defines the purpose of the church. What is it? It's the same purpose as the Great Commission. Your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Why did God say it was so important for this Spirit to come? Jesus said, listen, you don't do anything until you are endued with power from on high. Why? Because there is no fulfilling of the Great Commission and there is no church without the outpouring of the Spirit to indwell and to empower every believer for the work of ministry, of becoming and of making disciples in Christ. Thus bringing glory to God. When God's will is done, God is glorified. 
The ultimate purpose of everything we do is to bring glory to him. But there is no glory brought to him if his will is not done. This is why we can reduce this down to something that simple. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God says, I'm going to give you the spirit because I want my will to be done. And you can't do my will apart from my spirit. We can't do it, church. We can't save anybody. We can't deliver anybody. We can't heal anybody apart from the spirit of God. There is no power in our words apart from the spirit of God. This is why the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What is it that empowers it? It is his spirit. And so here's what I want us to understand real clearly. And the reason now we're going we're gonna to talk about the outpouring of the Spirit. Because I believe that there have been many people who have seen themselves as, at best, second-class Christians. Because they haven't had a certain experience. Because we have developed doctrines that don't come from the Bible, they come from men who say, if I don't have a certain experience at a certain time, then I didn't get what you got. Now listen, I had an experience. And I'm not saying my experience wasn't real, it was very real. But what we need to do is understand what our experience is and what our experience is not. And what we need to understand is because I didn't have the same experience or you didn't have the same experience as someone else at the same time they had theirs, that doesn't mean that they got something you didn't get. Listen, if you're saved, you've got the Holy Ghost. Since I've begun this series, I've had too many people come to me and say, you know, I didn't think I had the Holy Ghost because I didn't speak in tongues. No, I didn't think I had the Holy Ghost because I, I didn't manifest something. How can you, if you're saved, you've got the Holy Ghost. You, you can't not have it. So getting the Holy Ghost is not determined by some experience you have. And this is why it is important, church, for us to rightly divide and rightly discern the word of God. We need to know what our experiences are and we need to know what they are not. Amen? So let's, and we're going to get to all that. We're going to talk about a lot more. But today we're going to begin by talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. And there are four distinct outpourings that are described in Scripture. And those four distinct outpourings are I believe, erroneously used today as a pattern of how you are to receive the Holy Ghost, quote-unquote. And that is not why God placed the record of these outpourings in the Scripture. It's not a pattern of how you get it today. God had a very specific purpose in placing these outpourings in the Scripture. And so let's talk about this. This is the conversation that we want to have today. And this, again, I'm going to encourage you. Get the message guides. Go through the scriptures I'm giving you. Listen to the message. Amen. If you're dependent on what you're going to hear for 45 minutes here on Sunday morning to get this, you're not going to get it. The proverb says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the honor of kings to search out a matter. We should have enough 
respect and awe for the word of God that we are willing to go into this word and search out what God has put there. He's put it all there. We don't need to go to, to anything except the word, the word of God will interpret itself. So let's let the word of God interpret itself. Amen? All right. The outpouring. Four distinct outpourings are recorded in Scripture representing four distinct groups incorporated in the church by the witness of the Spirit's outpouring. I'm going to give you four Scriptures here. They're all found in the book of Acts. Now, the reason I talked about the Great Commission is because these outpourings are directly connected, they're directly related to the Great Commission. So the first outpouring recorded in Scripture is in Acts chapter 2. We see it in verses 1 through 4. Where did it happen? It happened in Jerusalem, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The next outpouring we see is in Acts chapter 8. Really, all of chapter 8 is very important to understanding this outpouring. But specifically, we see it in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And this is when the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Probably today we're going we're gonna to talk in depth about these two outpourings. And we're not probably going to have time to, to go to the next ones. The, the next is Acts chapter 10. By the way, where did the Samaritans, where were they when they received the Holy Spirit? The first outpouring was in Jerusalem. You know where the next outpouring was? It was in Samaria. The third outpouring we see in Scripture is Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 45. It's when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And the last one is in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesus. And he encounters disciples, the scripture says. And we find as we read through that chapter, they are disciples of John the Baptist. And they receive an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's something I I, I want you to understand. It's real important. If we sat down and we read the book of Acts from Acts chapter 1 all the way to the end of the book, let's just say if you're a slow reader, if you're a slow reader, I I believe even a slow reader could could finish the book of Acts in a day. If you sat down at 8 o'clock in the morning and just started reading, I think even the slowest reader could finish the book of Acts in a day, okay? What, what we often do, and we all fall prey to this, for instance, we're over here in Acts chapter 2. We read about this outpouring. Then we come to Acts chapter 8, only six chapters beyond, and, and it, it's only taken us 30 or 40 minutes maybe to get from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 8, and we read about this other outpouring. And in our mind, without realizing what's going on, we think all these things are happening in together. We say, well, you know, it wasn't a few hours later. Maybe it was a few days, a few weeks later. Acts chapter 2, the outpouring 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, that's when that first great outpouring took place. 
The next outpouring recorded in in Acts chapter 8, you know how long that was after the day of Pentecost? It was at least two years. It was at least two years later that this outpouring to the Samaritans is recorded. So let's, let's begin here in Acts chapter 2. And we see the day of Pentecost. Now this is a real simple, this is a no-brainer. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. Where? Where's the first place you're going to be a witness? In Jerusalem. So 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus... The Holy Spirit is poured out. This is what Jesus spoke of in John 14, 15, and 16. This was the promise of the Father that he said was coming. And now 50 days after the resurrection, here comes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it fell in Jerusalem and it fell on those Jews. And so the Spirit of God falls and the gospel is preached in that morning after Peter finishes preaching his first sermon... In the New Covenant age, 3,000, it says there were over 3,000 added to the church. I mean, praise God. I mean, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus right after his first sermon. And, and this is the out. And what, what's he say? He goes on. Look what he says. Peter says to them in, in Acts 2.38, and Peter said, repent. They said, what must we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart, the scripture says. Because they realize they've crucified their Messiah. What must we do? Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, give your life to Jesus. And you too will receive the Holy Spirit. But we're not prophets. But we're not kings. It doesn't matter. God says in the last days, and this is it right here. This is what Joel spoke of. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You too can receive it. Jesus said, ask and you shall receive. But, but, but you're not just asking to receive the Holy Spirit. You can't receive the Holy Spirit and reject Jesus. And so this was salvation. And so Peter says, repent and you too shall receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And so here we see that this Spirit, the Spirit of God, was poured out. It began in Jerusalem with the Jews first, just as Jesus commanded in the Great Commission. Paul says this in Romans 1.16, the gospel was for the Jew first, but, but it wasn't exclusively for the Jew. And so the Spirit of God was poured out to the Jews first in Jerusalem to the day of Pentecost, and it was a beginning Now, go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 begins with really the end of chapter 7. It's the account of Stephen being stoned to death. Because Stephen stood up. And he, he just told him how the cow ate the cabbage. I mean, he, he just told him, you stiff-necked, rebellious Jews killed your Messiah and you will not 
believe God. You will not trust God. And boy, they, they, they said, that's it. Take him out of the city. This dude is dead. And they did. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death at the time. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Where was the church? It was at Jerusalem. For two years after the resurrection of Jesus, the church existed almost exclusively there in Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean that some of those men that came and went from other nations, but, but what we have a record of in the books of Acts, that the, the church was centered there in Jerusalem. And, and up until now, there is no record that these guys left and went anywhere to preach the gospel. They were in Jerusalem. And if we read from Acts chapter 2 all the way to Acts chapter 8, it it talks about how they went from house to house and they met. They had favor with all men. They ate their food with gladness. Well, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that except that Jesus told them, you are to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now we're two years on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus and they haven't gone anywhere. They've remained in Jerusalem. And they've been preaching to the Jews and, and, and you remember, you've got these feasts where men come from all nations. And yeah, they're teaching in the temple and they're preaching from house to house. But they've been stuck so far in Jerusalem. And so it says this great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. The two places God told them to go from Jerusalem. They're scattered from Ju- to the regions of, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, this is real important, except the apostles. So the apostles have stayed, they have remained in Jerusalem, but, but everybody else is scattered because of the persecution. And so, Philip, I mean, uh, Stephen's taken to his burial. As for Saul... Who is Saul? This is, this is who will become the Apostle Paul. But he's not, in Acts chapter 8 here, he's not the Apostle Paul yet. He is still Saul of Tarsus, and he is a mortal enemy to the church. And now, because of what Stephen did, and Saul is the one, he is holding the clothes of the priest, of the Pharisees, as they stone Stephen, because they don't want to get blood splattered all over their clothes. Saul is the young man holding their clothes while they are stoning Stephen to death. And he's consenting to their death. And now he is ready to go and, and just eliminate, exterminate the scourge of Judaism called the way. The people who are following this false Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, doing what? Preaching the word. Now, this, this is pretty cool, I think. Now, think about this. So, Jesus says that you would be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Up until this time, for two years, they haven't gone to Judea and Samaria. 
But now a persecution has arose. The outpouring of the Spirit had been witnessed in Jerusalem among the Jews that had come from other nations, but it remained in the Jews. And for two years, the church didn't move out of Jerusalem to preach the gospel beyond the city or beyond the Jews until what? Until persecution scattered them. And the very persecution that the enemy wanted to use to exterminate the church was the very thing God not only allowed, but he intended. Can you guys see that God brought that persecution? We blame the devil. We say, well, the devil did that. I'm going to tell you what. The devil doesn't do anything that God doesn't allow him to do. And God allowed that persecution to come. Why? Because God knew that gospel had to get out of Jerusalem. And where did they go? They went to the very place that God told them they were to go to begin with. They went to Judea and Samaria preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. I believe this is Philip the deacon, not Philip the apostle. Because the scripture says the apostles remained in Jerusalem. I believe this was the friend of Stephen. Remember, pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit. And these seven deacons served the church there in Jerusalem till the persecution arose and they were scattered. And Philip goes to Samaria and he preaches the word. He's performing miracles. And these Samaritans are believing on Christ. And there was great joy in the city because of all the things that were done. Verse 12. They believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And both men and women were baptized. Now where are the apostles while this is happening? Well, we know because the scripture tells us where they are. They're in Jerusalem. Now, do you know anything about Samaritans? Let me, let, me, let me just read a scripture to you that's very important. See, God doesn't put things in the Bible just because he's trying to fill up space. God puts things in the scripture because he wants us to have the correct understanding of what's happening. Let's go back to just a, a, a scripture that would be real easy for us to pass over. It's in John chapter 4, verse 9. It's the account of Jesus with the woman at the well. Well, we, we, we say it's Jesus and the woman at the well. But what we need to understand is the woman at the well was not a Jew. She was a Samaritan. And in John chapter 4, verse 9, here's what the woman of Samaria says. Then the woman of Samaria said to Jesus, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Look at this. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, we think we got uh, racial prejudice in our country. I'm going to tell you what, we have no clue how the Jews viewed the Samaritans. The worst racial, racial prejudice you might think of in America is no greater, probably less than what these Jews felt toward the Samaritans. I mean, it went back centuries and centuries. They, the Samaritans didn't even come to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. They had their own mountain. They had their own place of worship. They, they had the same word. They had the same scripture. But they didn't worship together. They hated each other. 
And the Jews considered the Samaritans a half-breed race. They were Jews who had intermarried with the Gentile nations around them, and they considered them impure. They considered them at best second-class citizens, and they were commonly referred to as dogs by the Jews. A Jew would not even walk on the same side of the road as a Samaritan. They, they thought so little of them. But persecution arises, and Philip goes and he begins to preach the word. And lo and behold, the Samaritans receive the gospel. Word gets back to the apostles in Jerusalem. Hey guys, you, can you believe what's happened? Philip is down in Samaria, and he is preaching the gospel, and the Samaritans have received the word of God. Oh, you got to be kidding me. No, it's the truth. Peter, John, go down there and find out what's going on here. What in the world is Philip doing preaching the gospel to the Samaritans? We need to find out what's happening here. So Peter and John, come. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Now, let's stop right there. Were these Samaritans saved? Yes, they were. How do we know? Because they, they believed. They heard the gospel. They responded. They put their faith in Christ. They were baptized. But what didn't happen? They didn't receive the Holy Spirit. I wonder why. Does this mean... now? In our modern theology, what this says is, well, when you get saved, you got to have a second experience now. Or you don't get it the way you're supposed to get it. That's not why God put this in the Bible. Hear me, church. That's not why God... God didn't put this in the Bible as a pattern for you. God put this in the Scripture as a confirmation to the church. Confirmation of what? That His commission was true to Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, and to the utter parts of the earth. We cannot conveniently forget what the scripture has declared from the beginning, that salvation would come to the Gentiles. And the church in Jerusalem didn't want to believe that. They didn't even want to believe it was going to come to the Samaritans. And so here is the Samaritans who have been baptized into Christ. They're saved, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. Why didn't God... Two years after Pentecost, pour out the Spirit on them when Philip preached the gospel to them. I'll tell you why. Because God wanted to make sure that the leadership that was still in Jerusalem, they didn't even leave to go preach the gospel yet. God wanted to make sure that the leadership in Jerusalem, the leadership of the church, saw with their own eyes, witnessed with their own eyes, that salvation had indeed come to the Samaritans. They didn't, they, God was not going to just trust it to the account of an evangelist. He knew, the, he knew what was in the hearts of these men. Remember, it was James and John who said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and torch these Samaritans right here? And Jesus said, what is wrong with you guys? What spirit do you have? That's not who I am. I didn't come to, to, to kill them. I came to save them. But yet, here are the apostles in Jerusalem, and they send James and John down, or Peter and John down there. And Peter and John lay hands on them, and Peter and John witness the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
upon the Samaritans in the same manner that they received it themselves on the day of Pentecost two years prior. Can they deny, can they debate that salvation had come to the Samaritans? Uh-uh. Not only that, but think about this. If you think those Jews hated the Samaritans, do you know how the Samaritans felt toward the Jews? That every time they encountered a Jew on the road, that Jew would walk on the other side? That Jew would look down his nose? Do you, do you realize the animosity and the bitterness that had been built up in those Samaritans toward the Jews? Who was it that God made sure came down to Jerusalem and preached the gospel, laid hands on them, and allowed the Spirit of God to be poured out upon them? God made sure that it was a Jew that was brought to those Samaritans. Do you see what God is doing? God is bringing restoration. God is breaking down the walls of separation. He says, there is no longer Jew nor Greek nor Samaritan or anything in me. There is only one man. His name is Jesus Christ. You're no longer known as a Samaritan. You're no longer known as a Jew. You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And God was bringing restoration and unity to his body. And so God made the leadership of Jerusalem go down there and see for themselves the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the Samaritans to end the division that we see reflected in, 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 in John 4, 9. Look at Acts eleven nineteen. So now this great persecution has arisen. Acts eleven nineteen. This is why God made those disciples, those apostles, go down there and lay hands directly on those Samaritans. And he made them witness the outpouring of the Spirit. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen. This is, this is referring back to Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. After the, over the persecution of Stephen. Traveled as far as Phoenicia, that's modern day. Lebanon, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Antioch's all the way up in Turkey. Preaching the word to who? To no one but the Jews only. You see that when they were scattered, when the Jews left Jerusalem, began to preach the word, who did they preach to? They preached only to the Jews. How do we know? Because that's what the scripture says. So they went into Judea. But they didn't preach to, to, to anyone except Jews. They went into Samaria, but they only preached to Jews living in Samaria. They went into Turkey, but they didn't preach to Gentiles. They only preached to Jews. And so, do you think God knew their heart? Yes, God knew their heart. And as sincere as they might have been, and as deceived as they might have been about the intent and the will of God, the fact still remains. They weren't preaching to anyone except the Jews. And so God says, well, I know how to fix that. I'm going to make the leadership of this church go down and lay hands on the Samaritans that they despise. And they're going to see and witness firsthand the outpouring of the same spirit that came upon them two years ago at Pentecost. It's going to come upon the Samaritans. And they will not be able to deny the reality that salvation has come to all men, irregardless of race, creed, or color. Amen? Do you begin to understand why God has put the record of these outpourings? It's not a pattern for us. This was God, by the Holy Spirit, confirming his word. He was confirming the very word of Jesus. He was confirming the word of the prophets. That's why these four recorded outpourings 
mirror exactly. They fit perfectly with the Great Commission in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utter parts of the earth. So with the witness of the Spirit's outpouring, there could be no doubt, there could be no debate that salvation had come to the Samaritans. They could no longer be considered dogs or second-class citizens. The gospel was equally for them that they too may be saved and God be glorified in them. If you're saved today, Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit. You have received the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. This is what Paul says. How can you believe? I don't care what tradition you came from. I don't care what any person or man or movement has taught you. Can we get delivered of that and let's go back to the Scripture? If you have, from the very words of the Apostle Paul, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if that's what you have and that's what I have because we're saved in Christ, then then what what are we going to believe? What are we left to believe? I can't be considered a second-class citizen because I don't have the same experience as somebody else. Paul says, anyways, it's unwise to compare yourselves to one another. Well, I wish I, I wish I could have that experience. You know, I guess God just doesn't love me. I'm, these, are, these are things people have told me. This isn't hearsay. I've had people tell me, I guess God just doesn't love me as much as he loves sister or brother so-and-so because I, I haven't received that experience yet. That's not, that's not what the Word of God teaches. And what I'm saying is let's let the Word of God define. God has given His Spirit, and God wants to manifest the reality of that Spirit that's in you through you. God's not against experiences. But let's understand what they are and what they are not. Let's understand what the Scripture clearly teaches that we have received at salvation. At salvation, we have been placed into Christ. Who did that? The Holy Spirit did that. You can't can't come into Christ apart from the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit that draws us. It's the Spirit that works in us. And when we're saved, when we're born again, and we come to have life in Christ, God puts his very same spirit in us. Let's go back to John 14, and we're going to close on this. And next week, we're going to continue. We're going to talk about the other two outpourings. John 14. Verse 20, Jesus says, At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Does he give us any degrees of how much we are in him or how much he is in us? Are there any degrees indicated there? No. Just like there are no degrees of pregnancy. Remember, you either are or you aren't. I'm not almost pregnant. I'm not halfway pregnant. Ladies, if you're pregnant, you're pregnant. If we're in Christ, we're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, guess where Christ is? 
according to Jesus. Now, I'm going to believe Jesus, okay? I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to believe Jesus. If I'm in Christ, Jesus says, then I'm in you. And if, if you're in me and I'm in you, we're all where? In the Father. So if, if we're in God, and there is this unity taking place, do you really want to believe that God's left part of himself out? That he's only given you part of himself? That he's shortchanged you because he's waiting for you to earn the rest? To pray hard enough for the rest? To work hard enough for the rest? To be good enough for the rest? I'm just not holy enough to receive, I guess, what they received? Uh-uh. The scripture doesn't teach that. But here's what it does teach. We can grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now here's the reality If you're born again today, the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same powerful Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. But if you don't know that that Spirit lives in you, if you do not comprehend the power of that Spirit, the fullness of that Spirit, if you don't have a comprehension or a revelation of the exceeding greatness of His power that works toward us, then it's going to affect the way we live. It's going to affect the way we believe. Remember my favorite example. If I've got a bank account with a million dollars in it and it's got my name on it and I don't know I have it. It's mine. It's there, but it's not doing me any good. If I got a million dollars in my bank account, but I only think I have $10, it's going to affect the way I handle that account, isn't it? And it doesn't matter. I may believe with all my heart, all I have is $10 but I'm still deceived because I don't know fully what reality is. And if we think that there is some portion or part or anointing or something of the Spirit that I got to work for, pray for, be holy enough for, there's some other experience I got to get that proves that I've arrived to some other level than I'm, I'm like the guy who's got a million dollars is an account, but I only believe we've got 10. And I'm waiting. Well, when are you going to put the million dollars in there, God? Well, it's already there. Well, I don't believe it. Well, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It's there. Listen, the Spirit of God's on the inside of you. And His power has not been diminished. It's the same Spirit today that will heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. The same Spirit that will manifest himself in the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit too in the coming weeks. But let's not confuse those things with the reality of what happened to you when you were saved. God didn't give you part of his Spirit. He didn't give you part of something. He gave you everything. He did not withhold one thing from you. And so it's, it's, it, it's so important, church, that we understand what's happened and who we are in Christ. And we can't understand that apart from this word revealing it to us. So let's let the word, let's let the word define and dictate who we are in Christ. Amen? And can you be courageous enough that, that if this word dispels some myth or some tradition that you've been taught, I don't care if you've been taught it all your life, are you courageous enough to let this word be the final arbitrator? We must be, church. We must be. Or or we won't know fully who we are in Christ. And it will affect, just like it affected those apostles. 
and those early disciples who would not preach to anyone except Jews because in their mind, what they had been taught all of their lives, they could not overcome. But God in his grace, and thank God for his grace, God enabled them to overcome those prejudices, those mindsets that kept them and and were hindering what God had for them to do. And I'm going to tell you what right now, God loves you enough that he will overcome those things in your mind. He will. He will overcome those things in your life. He'll do whatever it takes to cause you to come into the truth. If you want to know the truth, if you love the truth, if you really are a person who wants to know the truth, God will get the truth to you. He will do it one way or the other. Amen? Let's all stand. So we're going to pick up next week, and uh, we'll go from here. Is there anyone here today, you say, Pastor Jeff, I've never given my life to Jesus Christ. Is there anyone, and you say, before I leave, I want you to pray with me to receive Christ, to be saved. Anyone, anyone in this place. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we want to be people who have such a reverence for your word and for truth. Because Lord, we believe what you declared. Lord, only the truth, only the truth can make us free. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to lay down anything and everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Lord, any argument, any imagination, Lord, that we would submit everything to your word. Holy Spirit, you have been given to us to lead us and to guide us into truth. And Lord, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, teach us and lead us and guide us. Correct us, Lord. That we may know the truth and the truth would set us free, Lord, from the, maybe the, the prisons that we've been held in because we viewed ourselves less than what we should because we believe things that have hindered us in our faith in believing that we really are vessels that you desire to use and you're willing to use and you will use. God, none of us have earned anything. Lord, we have been given this gift by grace. And we ask you, Lord, to do a work in us by your Spirit that you would be glorified, God, in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Be hungry for the word. Get the message, God. Get in the scripture. God bless you. Dr. Larry is tonight, 7 o'clock. Please, please, uh, that we begin the creation science seminar. You won't be disappointed. We'll meet right in here. There's some other churches that are coming to join with us. So be here, and uh, we're going to have a great time with Dr. Larry.